Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast and this is the last in this mini bonus series of my recent appearances on other people's podcasts and actually this one's from a little bit longer ago it's um, the end of last year just before my book Work Life Flywheel came out and it's with the excellent Alison Jones who also happens to be my publisher. Now rewind a few years and I not only didn't write online I had absolutely no expectation that I would ever actually write a book. But nine months on from its publication, I am, of course, very pleased that I did so. It gave me an opportunity to get all of my thinking straight on a subject which I'd become passionate about over the couple of years before, and of course, resulted in this podcast and the Future Work Life newsletter. I now not only spend most of my time speaking about the themes in the book, which relates to the future of work, of course, and careers, and and particularly career transitions too, it's also feeding directly into how I shape the next stage of my career, including my business. So I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Alison. And appropriately enough, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a series focused on work-life flywheel, where I'll be going through chapter by chapter, relating the thinking that I did in the book to the situation I'm seeing out in the real world right now. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast and to the Future Work Life newsletter, and I'll see you back here soon. The writing down and emptying your thoughts on the page is incredibly useful. Then even more useful is editing. And because of course, when you're editing, you're editing your thinking. And what you end up with is here is what I've thought about. And here's what I think about a particular subject matter. Welcome to the Extraordinary Business Book Club. I'm your host, Alison Jones. And this is a show for readers and writers of business books, leaders, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and hustlers. Anyone who understands that reading and writing are powerful tools for sense-making and communication in a complex world. If you're thinking of writing your own business book, you'll find a goldmine of practical tips here for writing, publishing, and marketing from some of the best business book writers and publishers out there. Our watchwords are curiosity, creativity, and connection. So get in touch and let me know what you're reading and writing, and I might just share it here. And now, on to this week's show. Hello and welcome to episode 349 of the Extraordinary Business Book Club. It's the 7th of January 2023 as I'm recording this. I'm still not used to saying that. Um, It's the end of the first full week of the new year, so hope it's shaping up well for you so far. And the big news here this coming week is the publication of the first two practical inspiration titles of 2023. And both of them are out on Kindle the day this goes out, 9th of January. And they are both just 99 pence or 99 cents for that day only. So listen up. The first one is for you if you found yourself dreading going back to work when the holidays came to an end. Because in that case, you almost certainly suffer from work gloom. And what you need in your life is a bit of work joy. And luckily for you, that is exactly what Beth Stallwood is all about. Work joy, a toolkit for a better working life. Um, One of the endorsements put this perfectly. This book is essential reading for the modern workplace, leaders and staff alike. It cuts right to the heart of what is affecting people in careers around the world and how a job is just one part of bringing balance and happiness to work. Pick this up, take control of your choices and see the difference you can make. (laughs) robust stuff from the head of transformation delivery and comms at the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, Matt Jowett. And the second is for you if you're not suffering from work gloom so much as perhaps leadership burnout. 
Liam Black's How to Lead with Purpose, Lessons in Life and Work from the Gloves Off Mentor is for social entrepreneurs and purpose-driven leaders who need someone in their corner, really. No bullshit, no woo-woo, just hard-won wisdom from decades spent supporting leaders who are changing the world. And the public sector luminary Sir Martin Neri put it this way, it's outstanding. It's commendably brief, very readable and sometimes funny. It's one of the most authentic things on leadership I've ever read. So congratulations to both Beth and Liam. Both these books really exemplify what practical inspiration is all about. They are real world, hands-on, actionable books that are grounded in top level expertise that just get alongside you and make your work and your life just that little bit better and also that little bit more effective for the world one page at a time so yep very proud publisher and you know what there are more of these coming in 2023 so stay awake In other news, the 10-day business book proposal challenge starts next Monday, the 16th of January. There are just four spots left. Um, It's been busy. So if you've been meaning to get around to that, then now's a really good time. The sign-up link is on the show notes at extraordinarybusinessbooks.com. If it's gone to a waiting list by the time you get there, then I guess um, those four spaces were filled. And there are just five spaces left on uh, our writing workshop in February. So I'm running this along with Beck Evans, uh, who featured on last week's episode, episode 348, along with her partner, Chris Smith. If you didn't catch that one, do go back and have a listen, because it's probably one of the most encouraging and most helpful things that you will ever hear as a business book author. Beck is a writing productivity expert and I don't want to brag, but together we are a pretty unbeatable combination uh, if you want a masterclass in getting started, keeping going and finishing strong with whatever writing project you are grappling with in 2023. Right, that's all the news. Well, it's not all the news here, obviously, but it's enough to be going on with because this is too good to put off any longer. Have a listen to this. I'm here today with experienced founder and CEO Ollie Henderson, who pivoted his career while juggling the pleasures and the pressures of raising a young family. He believes that work-life balance is a myth and that rather than seeing career and personal life as two opposing forces, the secret is to design an integrated approach that allows them to work in harmony. His weekly newsletter, Future Work Life, provides news and analysis to thousands of people interested in the future of work. And his new book is called Work Life Flywheel, Harness the Work Revolution and Reimagine Your Career Without Fear. Welcome to the show, Ollie. Great to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's brilliant. We want to get into the flywheel thing. So, yes. I mean, work-life balance, is, it's a bit of a tired old phrase, but what's interesting mm. about it is it's, it's kind of static, isn't it? It's this, you know, point at which you are balanced and it never happens. We all know that. But the flywheel implies a very different, sort of more dynamic, forward-moving sort of thing. Where, where, where did that all come from? Yeah, I mean, as you say, work-life balance, everybody I speak to, it seems nowadays, is a bit bored of that idea. And it, it, partly because it has, it's just become lazy. I think we just assume that everybody needs to achieve work-life balance. And people have a really complicated relationship with it, I think, primarily because nobody achieves it, as you said. And I've certainly had that feeling in the past. I Part of the reason I left my last business was because of burning out several times and this feeling that I neither spent enough time at home nor at work and I never achieved the elusive work-life balance. And I've subsequently realized that nobody had it, actually. I think I was I was under the illusion that everybody else was achieving something I couldn't. 
and and and, I, and the more I thought about this, and the more I studied it, the more I saw that most people actually, even if they could achieve an, a perfect equilibrium, that actually doesn't represent how they feel about their lives in general, but particularly about their careers. You know, ask anybody who's ambitious, who is really engaged with the work that they do, and they feel like they're making progress. They feel like they're constantly moving forward and. Being a business book geek like like yourself, I, I I lent on a phrase which, of course, Jim Collins came up with the flywheel effect. And you know, I, I talk a lot about this with the businesses that I work with. You know, often talking about technology businesses or and the data flywheel. And it just came to me one day, and and other weird people like me might be familiar with this, but it just came to me, and I bought the domain immediately and sat on it and didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And it was only when I went through your business book proposal challenge I thought well actually this is this is what I'm trying to articulate this is how I'm trying to help other people think about their careers and actually you know looking at it from my own point of view this is what I was trying to visualize about what I wanted to do you know about how I wanted to make progress in my career so that's how it came about and I spent a lot of time thinking about this idea and validating it because of course you, you come up with these concepts and think is this just something that I believe this is just something that's relevant to me and the more I explored it the more I saw it represented how a lot of people think about their work lives but definitely those who are thinking about making a change can implement it's an idea that people really latch onto and can recognize that making small incremental steps builds up to something greater than the sum of its parts so that's that's a that's the background of it and and how I developed the idea yeah and I want to pick up on so many things I'm trying to like prioritize them <laughs> like the idea of the incremental steps, like they do that sort of thing, everything working in synergy, like the idea of the forward movement. And I think actually I'm going to go there because there is so much talk about living in the present. And I've always found that a little bit kind of, we do, yes, it's true in a way. And and I think you really make that point, clear that it's, it's okay to also be living in the future because that's where you're heading. And so just, you know, in a sense, I guess, give us the antidote to that, you know, live in the present Give us the and that says, well, how do you live in the present while keeping one foot in the future, as it were? Yeah. Well, and by the way, I, I definitely believe in living in the present. There are times in your life when you have to stop and pause and reflect. And actually, that's a really important part of the flywheel model I've I've outlined in the book. And I'll just jump to the end of the book quickly before I return to your question, which is actually in order to make breakthroughs, very often we do need to stop and pause and reflect and realize the progress we're making. And that does definitely involve stopping living in the present and reflecting what's happened in the past. But, you know, I think the reality is we things have changed so significantly over the past couple of years, particularly it's difficult not to be thinking about what the future looks like. You know, when everything around you has changed, you know, provoked by the pandemic and, of course, the huge changes in our work lives, you know, you need to be thinking about what's next. And it's difficult, I think, sometimes for people to take that step, often because they're very busy. So, you know, I've got three young kids and a busy family life. And I found myself getting locked in the present. You know, you can't see beyond what's happening day to day. And I think having a plan and realizing that that plan doesn't mean fundamentally changing everything in your life immediately. You can do it step by step. It's reassuring in a sense. So as you said, having one foot in the future means simply thinking about what you want your future to look like 
and developing a strategy to get there. And as I said, I think that's why, again, we'll return to it, I'm sure, the incremental aspect of a flywheel. You know, there's, you know, you know as Jim Collins outlines it for a business, there's no single part of a business model which makes that business successful, which actually the individual incremental parts which feed into one another, they become interdependent. And just feeling like you're moving forward in some small way is ultimately what gives you the momentum. So yeah, it's it, you know, there's there's not a simple answer. I mean, definitely believe in living in the present because it's really important. And again, reflecting my family life, I have to take myself out of work mode in order to be able to spend quality time with my wife and my kids. But that doesn't mean I'm not constantly thinking about where I'm heading towards. And I think that's where I've got clarity actually through writing the book. You know, as I've developed the model, it's been this sort of meta experience for me where I'm both advocating this way of thinking but also constantly reflecting it back on what i'm doing and and it definitely helps and it's as i said it's reassuring to know that you don't have to revolutionize your life in order to be thinking about a better future yeah which lovely play on words there i do like that i think mm. it would be actually really useful for people who perhaps haven't read the book yet just to break down because we've, we've talked about a couple of the stages we've talked about reflection we've talked about breakthroughs and so on but just quickly whip through the entire flywheel for us and what are the components of that and how do they fit together yes yeah, so i just i mean i'll start by saying everybody's lives are very different everybody's expectations about work everybody's experience of family life everybody's stage of life are very different so the way in which you build each of these parts will definitely vary depending on your circumstances but having done a huge amount of research for the book i recognized common characteristics which is why i identified these buckets these elements which i think based on having you know, validated with many people I've spoken to, I think most people will recognize. And the first mindset, so I, I don't think there are many people listening whose mindset about their work and life, that intersection between the two, hasn't changed over the past few years. I think everybody, everybody was forced to reflect on that and now have different expectations. They just think differently about it. And for me, mindset is that first step because you're saying, well, what what, what do I want from work? What do I want from my, my life? And how do the two come together? And that involves setting goals. It, it involves being really clear about the values and where you focus your time and you know on a, on a more macro scale you see that in how people are thinking about relationships with the companies they work for so you know the younger generations just think fundamentally differently about who they choose to work for it's no longer necessarily about money or job title it's about do my values align with the business so taking a step back and saying well what's important to me is that that mindset stage and that feeds directly into the next stage of the the flywheel which is about creativity now <laughs> look at the lives of many successful and fulfilled people in their work and there's some element of creativity in what they do and that's on a very personal level i think if you're able to harness the creativity through your work it just gives you a great sense of satisfaction and actually again step back and look upon the future of work more generally there is there are going to be certain human characteristics which survive the inevitable automation of many jobs and it's human characteristics like critical thinking understanding of context and creativity making connections between things in new ways and for me that creativity feeds into so many aspects of how we think about work and life not least the stories we tell about the work that we do you know again 
think about how you choose the company or the people that you want to work with. You want to tell the story to those that matter to you about why you're doing it. So mindset feeds into creativity, which feeds again into experimentation. Now, this is what I'm really asking people to do in the book, to think differently about trying new things. And I think who's going to read the book? It's going to be people who want to make a change in their work life. Now, as many people, but particularly when you feel stuck in a rut, you know, a lot of people say to me, I, I, I'm st- I feel stuck in what I'm doing. I'm not sure how to take the next step. And, you know, for me, it's about experimenting. It's about trying new things out. And that sometimes that means taking risks, but it's about taking calculated risks based upon what you know you're interested in. And in the book, I talk about how you find a niche. And it's become a bit hackneyed, that idea of finding a niche, a bit cliche. But what I'm talking about there is trying to align the things I talked about mindset, the things that matter to you, the things you, you value with the skills that you've developed in, in a really targeted way, a way in which you think you can either monetize in some way, and this could be the side project, side hustle idea, or simply, which is going to give you some sense of fulfillment, which you're not getting in your day job. Because again, you don't have, you don't have to quit your job and become a solopreneur or an entrepreneur in order to harness the work revolution. There's, there are loads of different ways we can think about working. And being experimental in your thinking is it means thinking differently about that relationship between work and life. You don't need to have a nine to five job for one company for the next 10 years. There are many different ways to mix that up. So there's the first, first three stages. Feeds in, though, to community because, you know, one aspect I think has been really interesting over the past couple of years in, about work in general, our understanding about community, I think, shifted. And I think it's been tricky for some people to adapt. You know, for people who were used to working in an office, I think moving home unlocked some possibilities, spend more time on fitness, family. But I think a lot of people miss that. I don't know, the conviviality you might have in some workplaces, you know, the relationships, the relatedness that you build up between people. And there's definitely a lot to be said about that. But again, thinking differently about what community means feeds into this flywheel so thinking thinking differently about community is really key and this is what i'm asking people to do i'm asking people to say look having people in real life that you have to support you is important but look at the world that we work in now it isn't just you know the 40 mile radius around us it is global and there are so many interesting ways that people are building communities online which can support people's people in their career and last couple of bits which i'll quickly mention the next stage is about learning now who doesn't want to continue to learn in their career you know again ask most successful people most people are happy in their jobs they're constantly developing they're constantly growing and you look at the survey data now and it's top of people's lists about what they want from employment i think 40 more than 40 percent of people prioritize learning development ahead of anything else in the, in the choices they make about companies. So constantly learning is key. And then when you've got those stages, the mindset, creativity, experimentation, community, constant learning, that's when you take a step back, recognize the progress you're making, and that's when you achieve those breakthroughs. And when you achieve those breakthroughs, what do you get? It, you get a positive mindset, and it starts that flywheel turning. So that's that, that's that's how it breaks down. And there's obviously a, a lot within that to, to focus on, but... I think those six steps, I think generally they sort of universal recognition that they're really important to people's work lives. And of course, with that whole kind of flywheel, you're, what you're predicating this whole thing on is that that's a cycle that you don't do once and you don't do it in one massive life-changing way necessarily. You do it 
daily just in a small way and, and it becomes a habit of mind and that's when it really starts to change things yeah completely and it's not and it's not straightforward you know you don't get it right every time i think that's the other thing to realize and feeds into the experimentation point and i mentioned exactly. you know the best businesses are businesses which iterate and iterate means trying new things out and sometimes they don't work sometimes they do and they and constantly pushing up against what's possible means failure is inevitable it's understanding i suppose how to acknowledge that failure take the learnings from it and then improve upon it and and i think that again that's why that constant movement thing is just so revealing it's like okay you, you're constantly moving and sometimes you're going f- faster pace than others but as long as you feel like you're making progress that's you know that that makes a huge difference you don't want to be standing still. yeah and actually having the experimentation there i think is really really important because otherwise you can feel as though you you know i've failed i failed and that's that's sort of somehow a block a stop you know we use that yeah. language ourselves you talk about the importance of language in the book and when you've got that sense of it being this constant iterative process one failure feels less significant it, it just feels like a step on the way doesn't it exactly exactly you've talked a little bit about your own process in the writing of it and, and how you evolve that model and, and how you kind of clarified your thoughts I guess I mean you're a competent and, and prolific writer anyway so this isn't like the first thing you've ever done but just tell me a little bit about what writing means to you generally and, and what surprised you perhaps about writing this book well three years ago I was neither competent nor prolific <laughs> I hadn't written outside of emails for 15 years, probably. I mean, at university, I would write the odd essay. But then when I, while I ran my last company, I didn't really write. In fact, my business partner was a writer. So he, we just deferred to him to write stuff, you know, whatever it was. And bear in mind, I ran an advertising agency. So copy and persuasion was really a really important part. And it wasn't like I was, wasn't talking about language. Language itself fascinates me. But I certainly wasn't writing and it took a bit, it took a lot for me to start writing. And it was really because of my career pivot. So I left that business in January 2020, just needing, you know, needing a fresh start and did not know what I was going to do next. And in February 2020, I started writing about it and started publishing on online. And of course, very few people read it, which is why I took the step to do it. I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? And it was people's response to that writing, however you know, however small the number, which encouraged me to do it more. And I just found it incredibly cathartic to be able to share my experiences with other people, often people reading who were at a similar stage of life to me or thinking about similar challenges. And and I think partly again because of the momentum that I built, because this was a month before COVID happened, and then suddenly everybody was interested in work and life, which were the themes I was exploring. I thought, you know what, I'll start the newsletter. Had lots of people sign up really quickly. Committed myself to writing every week. So I said, this is a weekly newsletter. And then before you know it, you've—I mean, I'm about—I don't know—one hundred and thirty newsletters in, and. I'm, you know, many of those are a thousand word articles. And so even before I'd written the book, I'd probably written a hundred thousand words over that past 18 months and experimented a lot. You know, it was for me both cathartic, but also a way of crystallizing a lot of the thinking I was doing within the work I did every single day and every week. And I found it a really amazing way to organize my thoughts and also to test out which ideas were good and which weren't. And again, what I learned through before I started writing a book was 
not to be too hung up on whether what I was writing was profound <laughs> or even right sometimes. You know, sometimes it's better to just put it out there. Now, when I wrote the book, that changed because you're conscious that there's this thing which is going to live beyond the digital article which sits online and it comes and goes you know this this artifact which lives in the world and you don't want it to be out of date really quickly so i suppose i changed the the the, the themes that i was discussing to make them more universal to make them less timely but i think i'd done a lot of reps before i started writing the book and that helped enormously aside from the fact that from that hundred thousand words of course i could take some of those words and reshape them to feed into the book so writing has become both an outlet for me but also the generator of the ideas that are directly feeding into the business my new business and the business work that i do and the advising work that i do with other other people it's so interesting because you you covered the, the really personal aspect there about organizing the thoughts but also your own self-confidence as a writer becoming a writer that's that's a big identity shift but also the performative bit you know actually what that delivers out in the world and and the newsletter is really interesting to me because it's almost like a bridge between those two isn't it it feels very intimate you're writing to a group of people who kind of by definition know you and trust you and like you otherwise they wouldn't be you know signed up to your newsletter and reading it yeah i think newsletters are something that people feel they should do sometimes but don't quite know how to go about them so i just i just wanted to push on that for a little bit what do you think makes a really good newsletter and i mean that in a dual way i mean it from the reader's perspective but also as a tool for you in your business mm-hmm. achieving what it is you want to do in the world yeah it's a it's a good question because i could i think you could almost use the same lens to look at podcasts by the way which I'll I'll cover in my answer because let's look at it from the personal point of view first and this is fresh in my mind because this morning's newsletter was advocating starting a podcast as being a great tool to help you grow your career in 2023 which again all of these things take work I mean that's the first thing to say it isn't easy coming up with an angle for a newsletter or a podcast every week is is really difficult, which of course puts people, most people off. Then trying to come up with something that you're happy to put out there. And whilst I said I became used to putting out ideas without being too hung up on whether they were completely accurate or would survive very long, you know, I'm still proud of the, the work that I do. And I, I want to make sure that it's reflective of the heart, lots of thinking that I do put into many areas of the, the businesses I'm interested in. But there is just something valuable for yourself. Take away readers or listeners. Organising your thinking like like that, whether it is through audio, and some people are more comfortable within that medium, or but I think particularly through writing. The, the writing down and emptying your thoughts on the page is incredibly useful. Then even more useful is editing. And because, of course, when you're editing, you're editing your thinking. And what you end up with at the end of it is here is – what I've thought about and here's what I think about a particular subject matter. So I think just from a personal point of view, it is incredibly valuable. There's always, there's always be a value in in having that as your journal practice, just sitting in the background. Now, when you put it out to people, what's the point of doing it for the people reading? Well, it massively depends. I mean, I've sometimes wondered whether newsletter is actually an accurate reflection of what I write because newsletter implies 
the it implies that there's some news in there and i do link to interesting news stories which are timely you know that are reflective of the moment but a lot of the time i'm i'm just picking something i've decided i'm interested in that we can explore in that idea now what i do is combine it with conversations i have in my podcast and bring in another expert's view on it but I think for me, all I'm trying to do is give, I don't know, 75% of the time, whoever's reading it will find something in there which they haven't thought about in the, in, in the way I articulate it. And 25% of the time, they probably, well, actually, let's be honest, most of the time, 50% of the time, they don't, probably don't open it. The, the times that they do open it, 25% of the time, they're like, oh, it's not really interesting to me. But, you know, I want most of the time people to think, okay, well, I'm not sure I'll use everything in there, but that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And I want some people to be able to practically use it. And I'm again, I have no rules for my newsletter. I don't follow the, here's a template. You have to have three actionable points in it. I just write whatever comes to me. And therefore, as I said, I, ex- I accept that sometimes it's going to be really useful for some people. And sometimes they just might scan the first paragraph and close it. And again, I'm not too hung up on that because I have very low unsubscribe rates, which tells me that there's enough in there for most people to be interested so yeah i mean to reiterate first of all there's no harm in doing it for yourself initially there's you know there's definite value in that but of course trying to create value is what is going to get people to share it and subscribe and then ultimately to continue sticking with you which of course when you're moving on to how you would create other assets and other you know part you know other products i suppose related to what you're doing like a book you want those people to stick around because they want you, they, you want them to come with you when you're asking them to shell out the money. And of course, many of the thousands of people who are on my newsletter list have received free stuff from me for a couple of years. And you think you hope that you build up enough brand loyalty to say, well, actually, here's a lot of time and effort I've put into it. I suspect many people will probably just buy it because they feel that, you know, that it's a fair trade. Like, that's what I do. Yeah. And it, it actually, I mean, community obviously is a big part of the, the flywheel. And I think that's that's what comes out here as well, isn't it? With, with the podcast and with the newsletter, you're, you're building community. You're sharing a community of people who are engaged and interested in, in the future of work and in how, you know, with that flywheel and so on. And personally, what within that, what you get is accountability. Because when you've committed mm. to doing it every week, then you have to, you know, do it every week. And if you didn't have that accountability, maybe you wouldn't do it. And then you wouldn't get all the benefit for yourself from that. So there is this beautifully synergistic we're going to call it a flywheel of (laughs) you know you're putting really interesting stuff out but the fact that people are waiting to receive it on a you know whatever day it goes out forces you to do that work and and there's benefit mutual benefit in that yeah i mean it's not to say and i'm sure you feel like this sometimes you don't think i wish i had not never never ollie it never happens (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no look i mean especially when you do get the momentum because there have been times you know, and I do, I have to force myself, particularly during the school holidays, to say, look, no one's, <laughs> no one's going to be, be banging on my door saying how outrageous that you haven't written a newsletter <laughs> this week. Particularly, as, you know, that's the advantage of a free newsletter, by the way, because as soon as you step into paid newsletter land, yeah. you set the There terms. is that obligation there. Yeah. Yeah. There is an obligation because that's what people are buying. And I know some paid newsletter writers are more skilled at explaining or giving value actually while they're away but i've that's why i've never been tempted to flip it into a paid newsletter because it would then move into something entirely different but yeah like, accountability is really important yeah and I, I took three weeks off last summer the first time 
well, I was going to say ever, you know, since 2016 when I was doing the, the podcast and the newsletter and incredibly nobody died. Nobody complained. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah exactly. you can take a break and, and you can come back to it and the, the people are still there, which is, which is good to know. Um, there is, there's been a huge amount of here already, Ollie, but if, if you were to give just one tip for a new business book writer, maybe somebody at the start of their journey, I guess I'm asking, what do you wish you'd known before you started? What would you tell them? I've mentioned it already, actually, but I think there's a value in building the writing habit before Mm -hmm. starting to write the book. Now, when I was in the middle of writing the book, my habits changed. I was writing far more intensely. I was putting in some crazy hours, you know, waking up at silly o'clock in the morning and, and writing because, but, but that's because I had already established some of the habits, which I knew I could maximize in order to be able to create a book relatively quickly. So, you know, there's one part of the book I write about the importance of finding flow. And again, I look at it from a few different angles. I look at it from a personal level. How can you start incorporating fl- the flow state into your work? I also look at it from a team perspective, actually, how you can, you know, cultivate flow within a group environment but looking at it from a personal point of view i knew having put those reps in and spent all those hours writing before that if i designed my day in a particular way and again when you've got three kids you've really got you've got to pick the times that are available to you to have quiet time and i so i designed my writing schedule entirely around what i'd learned from 18 months two years of doing my newsletter which isn't to say you have to have put that time in. But I do think, I can't imagine what it must be like to go from not writing very much to writing a book. I just, it, for me, it was a, it was like training for yeah. the Olympics almost. I, I peaked in the first half of 2022. I peaked. It was like my Olympic games where I said I'd build up to it and then I peaked. And then off the, off the other side, you do, you know, you have the kind of that period where you're coming down and you have to rest and recover. And it's taken me a little while to, build up the same motivation and energy to be able to go at the same level but I can't I you know to use that sports analogy again I can't imagine how you wouldn't get injured mentally from just going from nothing to being able to to you know hit what it takes which and it is a demanding process I mean there's no getting around it and a process by the way which I absolutely loved doing I really I really really enjoyed it but it's difficult it has you know when you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning every day to do writing you know there's clearly a knock-on effect for those around you you know this you can't you can't pretend that adding that to everything else going on in your life isn't isn't a challenge it was and I enjoyed it but you know I don't think my wife would be in a hurry for me to do it again within the next year or so but we'll see you know (laughs) yeah it's amazing though it's like childbirth isn't it you sort of forget you forget how awful it was and And of course when you are waking up at four in the morning uh, hopefully it's because you have ideas and your brain is fizzing and you want to get them down mm. and it, it's not because you've set the alarm and you kind of drag yourself to your day you know what well, i may be sort yeah, of, yeah some days it is but yeah there, there is <laughs> there's joy in it but it is yes it's not trivial yeah yeah i always ask people and you know this because you've heard the podcast before i always ask people to recommend a business book you're not allowed to recommend work life flywheel which one <laughs> would you recommend that people listening should read I actually I got it out just to remind That's myself. The way the camera. I always 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 get it confused. But is uh, you familiar with this? A technique for producing ideas. No, I have never seen that before. Who's that by? It, look at this. It's tiny. It it's is. Tiny. It's a pamphlet, not a book. It, it is. It's got forty six, forty eight pages. It this 
book is amazing. It's written by a guy called James Webb Young. He was an ad copywriter, I believe. I mean, it's, it's 50 or 60 years old, but it has everything in it in order to generate ideas. And I, I talk all the time about the importance of sharing ideas, you know, the increasing importance of putting our ideas out into the world. And essentially it talks to you, it, it, it explains how, believe it or not, there is a process to generate ideas. If you say that to somebody, there's a technique, there's a model to help you generate more ideas and better ideas. You think, well, that sounds great, but that, that can't be right. And he talks through this process. And actually there's huge parallels with the flow, flow state and actually getting into flow state. And there's a release phase, for example, where you literally walk away and do nothing. This is always my favorite. <laughs> I can spend days but, in the release phase. Yeah. Exactly. But what's, what's great about this book is it breaks it up and for me encapsulates how to properly understand a subject, um, both narrowly and in its broader context. So it, what it asks you to do, for example, is to collect very specific insights about the problem you're looking to solve. Also be constantly collecting insights about what's happening in the world at large, mm. you know, bigger trends. And I can see, by the way, all of these things in the way that I approach writing the book. Then it asks you to take a step away, come back, and then literally put out onto those cards. You know those cue cards you use sometimes to do a speech and you have those index cards. cards yeah, the index cards, exactly. And you'd write down all of these different ideas and you literally hold two up against each other. So I don't know, one might be you know, increasingly di- dispersed workforce and another might be a problem you're solving related to how do you rebuild a corporate culture? And you just go through this process looking at these different combinations. And that's, yeah, as I said, this is the best place. You just go away. And this is the <laughs> classic idea that when you're in a shower, you have your best ideas or when you're going for a walk or when you're driving a car and your brain stops, you know, your brain switches off, your subconscious takes over and it's far more effective at making connections, mm-hmm. at which point you come back and you note those connections down and then the final stage is you, again, take a step away and then scrutinize what you've come up with and interrogate whether these ideas are any good. And anyway, in those 48 pages, a technique for producing ideas covers this process. And I, I literally pick up this book at least once a month because there are times when I just cannot make a breakthrough on an idea and I go through the steps. So it's tiny. Anybody can read it in about 20 minutes, which is, of course, what makes it brilliantly effective as well. Wonderful. Thank you. I've never heard of it. So really excited. I'm going to grab myself a copy and have a look at that. Brilliant. And Ollie, if people want to find out more about you, more about work life, Flywheel, more about the podcast, the newsletter, everything you do, where should they go? I think LinkedIn is probably the best place. I tend to share everything that I'm doing on LinkedIn. Futureworklife.com as well. And you'll find links to my Substack in both of those places, which is where I find my newsletter and the Future Work Life podcast, which is available on all podcast players. All good podcast players. It's like the old bookshop thing, isn't it? Brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant talking to you today, Ollie. Thank you. And we've covered a lot of ground, but uh, yeah, thank you for your time. Pleasure. Cheers, Alison. And I love, I love that uh, line Ollie said about putting in the reps. Um, I would really encourage you to think about that. Where are you putting in your reps, learning your writing craft, building that community, developing your ideas? If you haven't got a consistent commitment around writing, what might that look like for you? And if you don't know, but you would like to find out, maybe that writing workshop at Gladstone's Library in February is a good place to figure it all out. In rich reading news, I am working through Oliver Berkman's 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. It's really good. Um, It's quite philosophical. Uh, This week, what leapt out at me was his thinking on distraction. And 
it's funny, I felt for quite a long time that, that the focus on making yourself indistractable, while there's a lot of merit in that, obviously, it, it makes a lot of sense to you know, shut off your notifications when you're trying to do the deep work, for example. It was sort of not somehow missing the point. And in fact, I wrote about this in exploratory writing, jumping off from Stevie Smith's poem, which I love. Um, she, she had this phrase, I am hungry to be interrupted in her poem, Thoughts About the Person from Porlock. Uh, just for a bit of context, if you don't know, if that means nothing to you, the person from Porlock famously interrupted Samuel Taylor Coleridge as he uh, scribbled down Kubla Khan after this kind of opium-induced creativity and completely interrupted his train of thought and it was lost forever. Um, and I said, going back to that phrase, I'm hungry to be interrupted, aren't we all sometimes? It gets us off the hook. If no distraction comes along, we have no excuse not to finish that poem, write that report, find that solution. Maybe that's why we're so addicted to checking our phones. We too long for the person from Porlock. And if they're not going to oblige us by showing up at the door, we'll go looking for them on TikTok. And Berkman develops this point um, more profoundly and more articulately. Um, what is it about us and our overwhelming desire to be distracted? He says, what we think of as distractions aren't the ultimate cause of our being distracted. They're just the places we go to seek relief from the discomfort of confronting limitation. The reason it's so hard to focus on a conversation with your spouse isn't that you're surreptitiously checking your phone beneath the dinner table. On the contrary, surreptitiously checking your phone beneath the dinner table is what you do because it's hard to focus on the conversation, because listening takes effort and patience and a spirit of surrender, and because what you might hear might upset you, so checking your phone is naturally more pleasant. Even if you place your phone out of reach, therefore, you shouldn't be surprised to find yourself seeking some other way to avoid paying attention. In the case of conversation, this generally takes the form of mentally rehearsing what you're going to say next as soon as the other person has finished making sounds with their mouth. It's, I mean, it's a bit too close to the mark, isn't it? It's, if you haven't read this book, it's very, very good. Here are three hot new reads out this week. Uh, first of all, of course, it is the pair from Practical Inspiration Publishing, How to Lead with Purpose, Lessons in Life and Work from the Gloves Off Mentor by Liam Black, which is out in paperback on the 10th of January, but the Kindle edition is out today, 9th of January, for just 99 pence or 99 cents. And I guarantee we'll put some fire in your belly. And next it's Work Joy, A Toolkit for a Better Working Life by Beth Stallwood, also out in paperback on the 10th of January and also out on Kindle for 99 pence or 99 cents today, only the 9th of January. And this is such a great one to start the year with if you know that your work life isn't what you want it to be and if you're determined to be the change rather than hope someone else will fix it for you. And finally, it's Happier Hour, How to Spend Your Time for a Better, More Meaningful Life by Cassie Holmes, which is out from Penguin Life on the 12th of January. And uh, I mean, I spotted this, I think, because I am so deep in Oliver Berkman and 4,000 Weeks. It is another title in that kind of space, focused not so much on how we get more done in life, but how we can experience life more richly in the um, insultingly little time that we have. Holmes runs an MBA class on this stuff at UCLA, which is apparently the most popular class there. Uh, it's based on solid research. And I suspect this one too is likely to become a classic. 
And that's it from me for this week. I was going to restart the virtual campfire this week. Um, I had completely forgotten. (laughs) I'm actually going to be travelling back from London uh, on Friday, following Liam's launch party on the 13th of January, the Thursday. So sorry, it's actually going to be the 20th of January that we finally restart the campfire. Sorry about that. Hope to see you there. Have a great week. For now, I'm going to leave you with a brief word from Practical Inspiration Publishing, proud sponsor of the Extraordinary Business Book Club. The Extraordinary Business Book Club podcast is sponsored by Practical Inspiration Publishing, the home of books that mean business. At Practical Inspiration, we bring together the best of traditional publishing, industry-leading editorial, design and production teams, global warehousing and sales reps visiting bookstores, libraries and universities, a bespoke marketing campaign for each book, and a proactive rights team selling translation and other rights. With the best of partnership publishing, We provide coaching and editorial support through the planning and writing process. We allow you to use the material in the book in other formats. In fact, we positively encourage it. And you receive the lion's share of sales revenue and you can buy your own books at cost because we know you want to use it to build your business. We are passionate about publishing books that really make a difference for authors and readers. If you'd like to find out more, visit practicalinspiration.com and book an exploration call to see if we're right for each other. That's it for this episode. Keep on reading and writing those extraordinary business books and join me back here next week. Mm -hmm.